<laughs> so, Jamie, welcome aboard. We were just about to talk about uh, how basically instincts that every human has is then kind of programmed at young age. Mm-hmm. And at one time, uh, the neuroscientists thought that a child stopped developing at about the age five. Have you ever heard that theory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, well, you it's have... completely been debunked on several levels, including the uh, 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 the microscopic level of those neurons as they grow. <laughs> and what we've come to understand in a better way is is that those neurons keep reproducing, but they don't change their behavior. But if we exercise them in a new direction, they would have a different behavior. Mm-hmm. So down at yeah. the neuron level. Neuroplasticity. You got the word for it right there. <sighs> and we use that to our advantage. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you could say that uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa taught only one thing, neuroplasticity. <laughs> Because he talked about it in the sense of change, which is actually built into the teaching of the Buddha, because the Buddha only taught one thing, dukkha, dukkha, naroda. And right there is that neuroplasticity, come out of your dukkha into dukkha, naroda. Mm-hmm. Exercise mm-hmm. it, get it going, move it up, get your mojo going. Yeah, Move-up yeah, yeah. Attitude. Change the patterns. And so that's really what the teaching of the Buddha is all about. But we have to do that repetitive over, 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 over. Because those baby neurons are really, really stuck in doing it the way they were told to do it, the DNA. So we have to exercise them, pump them up, get them going, uh, change our attitude. Another way that I speak about it is, is that every human being is born very very soon develops an attitude in fact it may be prenatal and the attitude of it is is that oh no this is hard this is difficult mm-hmm. we start out all as victims we can't feed ourselves we can't uh, um, change our diapers we can't walk don't know the language, all of that stuff, we already start out as a victim. And that most of the kids are actually spanked into a breath of rage upon birth. That's the way I was raised. I remember it really well. I was sitting in my uh, hot tub there, all dark and cozy and everything. (laughs) The next thing you know, the, the, uh, the bottom dropped out. The light shone. And then Dr. Uh, Young held me up by his hands, uh, by my heels and my feet, and beat my ass. <laughs> I let out a yell so loud that I, I actually didn't stop yelling until I was about 35. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something familiar about that story to everybody. They used to actually spank the babies. Is this, is this a thing? <laughs> give, give them a whack. Wow. So, uh, 
that actually fits in with another story about comma, which we'll talk about later if I can remember the because uh, it's the same punchline. <laughs> that is that you're going to be after you're dead, your comma is so strong that it's going to dig you up out of the ground 300 years from now just to beat your ass. <laughs> Guess what? The next thing happens you let out a yell so loud that you don't stop until you're 35. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, that's basically it. We start out as a victim. And as we grow up, we grow up remaining a victim. Even the bullies in high school are victims. They've got no friends other than the bullies. I want to be bullies. Bullies in training. And so they all join the police when they get high, uh, uh, old enough. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, we all then remain victims the rest of our lives, doing what we're told to do, following some set of rules, like you don't work, you don't eat. Or uh, do what you're told to do. How long do you get along? You got to go buy what you're told to buy. Well, advertise it until you believe it, and then you'll buy it. Mm, just kind of conforming to society's rituals and rights. Right. And guess what? We're prone to do that instinctively. This is an instinct. The social instinct. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we would be. We would be. Uh -huh. Naturally programmed through our DNA and our instinct to be social and to get along even when we're unhappy. Yeah. To pretend you understand. To, to pretend that, you know, like, this is what you want to do as well. And where that instinct came from back in nature is in the herd. That the further closer into the middle of the herd you are, the safer you are. But the safer you are, the less control you have. The herd's now running this way and that way. And in fact, the ones who are controlling the herd are the, um, the scoundrels, the outsiders, and the herd of, let us say, elk or buffalo or bison. Uh, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of animals that are chased. Uh, and so. The outsiders of the herd are in the most danger, mm. but the way that they run, the lions run, and therefore the herd has to react to that. So the ones who are on the outside are the ones who control where the herd is going. They don't know that they're in control because they're too scared to figure it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they know they're just trying to get away from the lion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So when we begin to understand that we live our lives, I mean, coming out of the jungle, with that herd mentality and that outsider mentality that we are built into our DNA because of so many centuries of that happening over and over. Again. So even a baby monkey will get thrown out of its nest if it won't shut its mouth at night because uh, uh, the big monkeys would figure out we'd better off give one away than, than let this kid uh, 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 tell the panthers where we are. 
So it's better if he cries and screams on the ground while we're safe up here in the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, that's what causes our society to be the way that it is. And look at, we have things uh, naturally as house rules. Like the teenage daughters all made up in the middle of the week and about to go out. And daddy says, you can't go out tonight. Tonight's a school now. And she said, daddy, I got to go. And she says, no, you can't. And so she says, well, I'm going to go anyway. And he says, these are my rules here. I have to do what you She storms back to her room out the window. She rebels against the rules. Mm-hmm. And then she has hell to pay the next day. Even if it's the guilt, even though she didn't get caught, she still feels bad. Mm. Okay, so yeah. This is, the, this is the whole quality of the rebel is the one who fell against the rule. In our case as adults, we're the ones who made our own rule that we're rebelling against. Yeah, yeah, I've got to do this work, I've got to do those chores, but I don't want to do them right now. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, I'm going to watch this this video and I'm going to feel really bad about it. Uh-huh, exactly so. That's, that's a really excellent example right there. You're beginning to catch on that this is, in fact, why we're often called either the monkey mind or a better way of saying it is, is that we're a crowd inside having an argument. Mm-hmm. And all we have to do is figure out that we're having that argument and put a stop to it. Otherwise, dialogue's great. Let's be friends instead. But when the friendship turns into a slap, that's when we've got to wake up to recognize, no, we've got to keep these two kids, the parent and the child, in harmony. Now, Eric Byrne talked about this in the sense of the distinction between the critical parent and the nurturing parent. And he taught to nurture that the psychotherapist is supposed to teach nurturing by nurturing their clients, which is completely different than the Phyllis Burleson know him. Sorry? This is, uh, that nurturing is different than the Fritz Pearls approach. Have you ever heard of No. He's one of those old psychologists from the 70s that did have some kind of connection to Freud, not sure what. And he was the one that had the, uh, the hallmark was the empty chair for his client. And he would have two chairs and the third chair would be empty oh, yeah. and place your face on it. Mm-hmm. And he saw everything as top dog, underdog. Top dog, underdog. And so the whole society was built that way. And in fact, in psychotherapy, it wound up people using that third chair to tell mama off or to take a pillow and beat it. That was gave rise to encounter groups and encounter therapy. And there was a whole industry about batons and boxing gloves and big helmets and all of that stuff for psychotherapy. And what was happening was is that the guys would get, it, get angry and let it out at the at psychotherapy and go home and for the first time beat his wife. So he figured out that Letting it go, letting it out, was not exactly the right way to do it, and that whole industry died out now. Mm-hmm. And Eric Byrne actually had the quality of I'm okay, you're okay, or the okay corral. That was a, a bestseller back in the 70s. The, the okay corral. Isn't that like an old TV show or something? 
Uh, absolutely. It, uh, and the fact is, is that the corral is only one box to where the uh, uh, Eric Burns okay is uh, uh, boxes together, kind of like a window with a pane in it or two panes top and bottom. And there's many different ways of looking at that. And in this case, I'm okay, you're okay. Or I'm okay and you're not okay. I'm There's okay a lot of people out okay. there who's not okay. <laughs> uh-huh. And the other side of it is, oh, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. Let's fight. <laughs> or, I'm not okay, and you're okay, which means that if you feel okay Give me some and I'm of not that. okay, <laughs> then you fit in really well together as doctor and client, doctor and patient. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay, you're okay, and the other guy has, yeah, I am okay, and you're a piece of shit, and I'm going to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the choice, though, is if we're making it consciously, is to realize that I'm okay and you're not okay is actually kind of a lie. But in fact, if I thought that I'm okay and you're okay, then that can be real. But if I say I'm okay and you're not okay, then what I'm doing is I'm lying to myself, falsely thinking that I'm okay. And in fact, I'm okay and you're not okay when taken to the extremes is either the psychopath or worse still, the so- I mean, the sociopath or worse still, the psychopath. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I know now actually rewires the brain. Physiology. In fact, there's a there's a big fight over whether a psychopath is born, uh, a sociopath uh, is made, or nurture nature issue, because the psychopath actually does have changes in that middle area in there, so that he doesn't learn any empathy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, crikey. In your in your insular cortex. Read about this in a class, and when you do, you'll (laughs) say, "Yeah, already, Damarato is on that one." And then you can come back and tell me all about it, because I only know just a little. Okay, but uh, but uh, neurophysiology is quite marvelous to understand it, because when we do, we can put it together with both psychology and the teachings of the. And then mm-hmm. learn it really quickly because we can see it from various angles and recognize that it's all one thing. And that is that the human being is messed up. Mm-hmm. But they could be unmessed up. They could get fixed. We could go in there and uh, uh, um, uh, the example that I would use between um, samadhi and uh, concentration, I use the example of taking your wristwatch or a clock or something to the jeweler, and he takes it apart and polishes every gear, oils every jewel, sets the thing back together and gets it set right. This is what we would then mean about the samati mind. It's clean and functioning correctly. As opposed to a concentrated mind is when you take a sledgehammer to that watch to try to get it small. Which means it's going to get rearranged, but it's not going to be functioning correctly. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And here we are, whole eyes are trying to fix our clock by bashing it. <laughs> the, the other thing with the with the watch is that it it has that rhythm. It has a a tick. It has know? that tick. It has the rhythm exactly. 
That's so you, the sansara. It's over and over and over again. And in fact, there's many kinds. Some of them are quite slow, and some of them are very, very slow. And some of them are quite quick. And many of them function at the alpha wave level, which is about a tenth of a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and that tenth of a second, then, is what we would call in Buddhism a mind moment. Mm -hmm. And the reaction time, then, can be measured in the sense they've got measurement systems like they can turn the screen red you get your finger on the mouse and then they'll turn it green how soon after the screen turns from red to green is called your reaction time and you could measure that over a period of time and get an average of what your reaction times are yeah yeah and then they rate it like this 350 milliseconds ordinary people Under 200, or no, let's go 350, then down to 175 is people who are pretty sharp. Down to 200 is black belt karate. That's their style of what they're, they're using. And then 180, 180 is what they would register for an Olympic champion, is the example that they Okay, mm -hmm. so many, many different people can do various things. I would say that race car drivers, especially Formula One racers, or when you're on a motorcycle going around like that, you got to really be sharp. <laughs> you're going to be dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think that I've read an interesting book called Conscious. Uh, what was it? Um, Consciousness in the Brain by a neuroscientist called Stanislas Dehaene. And he's talking all about how consciousness takes time. Like you, one of the thing is you get information coming up through your sensory pathways, right? And it reaches the, the frontal cortex and all of this, this part of the brain. And then it, there's a conscious ignition. And this, this takes about 300 milliseconds or so, typically, to have a conscious moment from something in your environment. Well, takes about that amount of time. Ordinary people. Yeah, but, but. If you if you're training right train. if you're if you're training to be like a, a Formula One driver you're gonna make these decisions on a more pre-conscious level eventually because you've you've driven around this track so many times you've been overtaken and that's such the, that's the problem every formula race has a different track mm -hmm. and the whole idea about it is is that you've got to walk around that track to know every nut, bolt, grease position, loose um, uh, asphalt, and all of that kind of stuff so that you can judge what's going to happen to that uh, racetrack when you beat the hell out of it with tires, sometimes with a Okay, so that's one of the things that, uh, and so you really have to be sharpened in the moment. Mm -hmm. how we all should be driving our own cars. But in fact, on those Formula One racers, if you're not watching what's going on, you're dead. Okay, little say it like this: you're there driving down the tooling down at about 200 clicks, maybe uh, more, and the little old lady walks right out in front of you. If you have the rule, little old lady shouldn't be on the racetrack. You just <laughs> killed her. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're really sharp. You can get out of the way and save her life. Mm -hmm. Because you're okay. switched on. You're, 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 you're in the moment. You're consciously okay. doing what you're doing rather than leaving it to the autopilot. 
Exactly so. That's rule bound, a rule bound autopilot. Okay, so the other example would be that two boxers are there. And the one who's thinking about the fight he had with his wife is the one who gets a new face full of fist. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's actually the training that Zen has with the Zen stick. Probably heard about that. Mm -hmm. That the master walks around the, uh, the dojo and those who know he's there will move just their little bit of posture just a tiny bit. And he knows that they know that he's there. If he comes up behind somebody, it doesn't matter what kind of beautiful high state of being or whether he's just mulling over the anger that he's got or whatever he's doing, if he's not aware that Zen master's there, he's the one that gets whacked. Okay, so that's the whole quality of what we mean by uh, be here now. In the Pali, that's tatata. A thusness. This is it. Be with what is. Okay. In fact, that's what the Buddha called himself, the Tathagatha, the one who is here. Present moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The the thus gone one is how I've seen it translated. But the, what's the thus? Is the the the, the thus? This is you, it. The, you tend to is. think of yeah. You tend to think of like the thus as like somewhere special beyond like some sort of rarefied plane of existence oh, that he's gone to <laughs> no it's, it's it's here this is it <laughs> this this is right okay um <laughs> right here okay and in that regard that means that our senses are open and taking in information in the here now presently so we're down into that level from being 350 milliseconds or worse. Mm -hmm. Down into really paying attention to what's going on. Not because it's dangerous, but because it feels so good. But normally we use our alertness and awareness because of danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get that, that threat system activated and you start calculating. You're like, oh, you know, I, th I think that's uh, that's usually what happens when you get afraid is you start you start going down a tree which has branching possibilities. And you say, oh, well, if I say this to them, you know, they might be angry. And if they're angry, they might go and tell somebody else. And then you get your you're no longer in the present moment because you've been sucked into this calculation. Precisely so. And so becoming aware that we get sucked in often. Go up a whole lot of trees. We don't need to because we're already safe. Most of the reason why we feel unsafe is because the argument or the danger or the terror is inside one's mind between the parent and the child. The parent ordering the child around and the child gets gapped. Either and, and generally I would say that that happens Quite a lot when the child gets an order that he knows that he cannot and will not do. Mm -hmm. So now we're in danger of being punished by our own mind. Mm -hmm. So when we stop giving our, our, our ourselves work to do, stop uh, trying to train it to get some value later, being critical and start nurturing because you're okay the way you are right now. 
start having all of those unwholesome thoughts, you start having some wholesome, nourishing thoughts. Everything's okay right now. Everything's get a load of that. The air is sweet. Wake up and smell the sweetness of the air. Hint of salt. So this is what Anapanasati is about, is really get in touch with the breathing by learning to control. By learning to control breathing, we have to already be able to control and to control. But if the mind just wanders away into the, all of the stuff that we, you know, the trees that we can block, then the breath is left to the anterior cortex and is done, um, let us say, uh, in a very conservative way. Just amount of air to keep you alive. Rather than a whole lot of air to keep you vibrantly alive. So we take long, deep breaths intentionally, and by doing it intentionally, that means that we remember to do it, and that's a training in sati. Every in-breath that we know is a long, deep in-breath is a moment of sati. And every long out-breath is a long out-breath because sati, we remember to slow down the breath. Start thinking about the breath in a wholesome way. Wow, this is nice. Mmm. Ah, you know, have you heard of uh, ASMR? ASMR. So there's a lot of these videos on YouTube now, ASMR, and they get a very fine uh, microphone very good microphone and they turn the gain right up and then they do very quiet things uh, like you know I don't know touching their teeth like that like uh, very things that make very what small noises pick that up? <laughs> yeah yeah r rubbing rubbing their hands together and stuff right to make these very subtle sounds and then people listen to it and they get what's called the uh, autonomic sensory meridian response i think it is and that what they mean by this is just tingles up your spine you listen to these uh these like very quiet sounds and it gives people a thrill they listen to it and they get this this lovely tingly feeling up there their back that you know the hairs on their their arms stand up um there's probably words for that there pity right yes 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 so this is what i wanted to ask you um I think I, I think I get this when I, well, I, I know I get this when I start doing the Anapanasati. I get like, oh, lovely tingles, it's, it's flowing through my body. Or, uh, yeah, in the shower, you know, you start paying attention to the, to the nice water, you're like, oh, that's good, well. That's a good place to get really uh, good, good feelings, yes. So, so is, is pity then the, those tingles, or is it something mental? Is it like a... It's both, obviously. In fact, it's not just both, it's all three. All three? Yes, the body, the mind, and the feelings that are associated. The tinglings are actually feelings, but where are those feelings? They're in the body, which means the body's got chemistry going in order to have those kinds of 
Ah, I see. And where did all of those chemicals originally come from? Was the mind ordered the uh, spaghetti sauce? (laughs) And it was delivered through the bloodstream or whatever lymph system it has got into the parts of the body that allowed us to... (laughs) It feels that good. It's a way of the body talking about how good can you feel? Let me give you many examples about that, but I'll use a couple. Okay. <clears throat> the football star of the nation is in the biggest game of the year. It may be for the uh, Rose Bowl or, you know, I. and there he is running down the field with the ball and it makes a touchdown. What's the first thing he does after he gets over the goal? He's still holding the ball. What does he do with it? Just gave it away. <laughs> What does he do with his hands? What happens the first thing he has after he makes that touchdown? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that not physical? Yes. Does he not have those kind of sensations of joy and uh, uh, success and winning that throw his hands in the air? That's mm-hmm. why it's so um, obvious we've been doing that for hundreds of centuries. That's mm. what do when they win. They throw their arms in the air. Yeah, yeah, or a dog wags its tail. Uh-huh. Dog is like, exactly. woo hoo starts spinning exactly. around in a circle. <laughs> exactly so. So it's all mental, feeling, and uh, body all wrapped up in a chemical package. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to begin to look at that stuff happening. Start watching. Start paying attention. What the mind is doing, body is doing, our feeling. And in fact, by watching closely, we actually cannot help but start to control it. Mm. Knowing it and controlling it in a way are very deeply related. If you don't know anything about anything, you can't do anything about it. When you know tension. Mm. Now that knowledge is power. Okay. So once we start Noticing the body and start changing the breathing and start watching the body. One of the things that happen is we begin to see where the tensions are, where our discomforts are in the body. If there's any agitation or worry, it's going to be stored in the body. But uh, in a way, you could also say that's adrenaline or cortisol. Both come out of the adrenaline gland. Mm-hmm. And the gland does what it does with, um, let us say, the pump, the junks and the poison that it gets from just next door, kidneys <laughs> and the liver. <laughs> and it gets orders to do in to do that um, stuff and pump all of that crap back into the bloodstream after it's just been filtered. <laughs> And that, that information is coming from the penal and the pituitary glands. It generally come originally from the amygdala. Which if you know about the, uh, the human skull, you can recognize that the amygdala is actually located in the brain, the closest place that the brain has to the back of the throat. Where the throat goes back and then curves down, that curved place 
is just curving so that the amygdala will sit right on top of it. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways of calming ourselves is by breathing slowly and breathing strongly enough that it creates that rhythm so that the whole amygdala system gets the feeling of everything's okay, peaceful and quiet, in and out, isn't this nice? As opposed to getting all agitated because of short jerky breaths that happen uh, subconsciously. So all of the body, the brain, and all of this chemistry kind of works together but it does so in normal situations to our disadvantage. But when we know all about it, we can turn it to our advantage. Mm -hmm. But the Buddha didn't know too much about neurophysiology. He did it strictly, just, you know, like, uh, in fact, the same thing that happened with Sigmund Freud is what they call armchair observation. Mm -hmm. Just sitting there and looking at, in um, George's case, analyzing people, watching what they were doing, studying them over and over again. He would have been better off if he had done that to his own mind like the Buddha did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what we've got to do. This is what actually the Eightfold Noble Path of the Buddha is really all about. And that from Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda is the path means that we got to wake up, look at what we're doing, take the effort to make a change, which is in this case to slow the breath down. Wake up, see what's going on, make a change. Like throw that thought out, it's not particularly valuable. Let me play with the breath instead. Let me have some wholesome thoughts about the present moment rather than rat thinking about ratting on Aunt Jane. You'd be surprised how many th human thoughts are, are based upon revenge. The I'll show him. Yeah. Which also has the quality of I can go do what I want to do and get away with it. In fact, you could say that that is so common in humans that I can get away with it, that the whole quality of religion and uh, authoritarianism and everything like that is the other side of the coin. Oh, no, you can't. You want to get uncles and aunts and teachers to make sure that you understand you're not going to get away with it. And then we're going to hire cops and maybe the military, and we're going to make sure that you don't get away with it. And if that's not enough, we're going to get both a priest and a preacher. We're going to make darn sure that you're never going to get away with it. <laughs> and while deep inside every kid knows yes i can i can get away with it yeah yeah well this is yeah this is a mentality i guess of if you think you're going to go to hell for what you're doing but you're still doing it because you're like well you know <laughs> i'm going to get if i'm going to go to hell anyway i get away with it this time <laughs> <laughs> what else can they do to me <laughs> exactly right and there's no wisdom in there it's just a set of rules that we keep breaking because we're breaking our own rules, we wind up having to deal with the fact that we're a failure. Mm. Victim. In this case, we're victim to the, our own rules that we keep breaking. 
So this is the real teaching then of the Buddha is, is to wake up, take a look at what you're doing, make a change. Take a look at what we're doing, make a change. Wait, take a look at what we're doing, make a change. That's the sequence. Sati, um, Ditti, Spirit. Now, those three things together then, when you produce it over and over and over again, keep these three things running and circling around each other, several things happen. One is that each one of them as a skill is redeveloped. The sati mm -hmm. grows to help effort so that your effort is not so strong. It's an easygoing effort. When we also are looking, we begin to see things that we didn't see before. Basically, what we're beginning to do is to catch it in its cycle. Okay. You can yeah. see the cycling of things. Mm -hmm. okay? And so by repeating these three things over and over and over again, we begin to add a fourth one. And the fourth one in Pali is Sama Sankapa. And the Sama Sankapa actually means the pity or uh, basically, by doing these things over and over again, we develop sukha. In other words, we begin to tell ourselves and then to begin to feel, I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm comfortable, and I'm satisfied with this moment. So we keep producing that over and over and over again, and that satisfaction then turns into success, and to get confidence. Confidence, mm -hmm. I can do this. The confidence, it doesn't matter how polluted my mind becomes, I can clean it out now. I can clean it out now and see what's going on. All I have to do is to remember that I can clean out my mind. Mm -hmm. So whatever big event that happens, like you uh, you suddenly wake up on a, um, a stretcher being rolled down the, the aisle of a hospital. Okay. You just wake up and you recognize that there you are. What's the first thing you say is, hi, thanks for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of, um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, he had a stroke and, um, you know, he was in a coma or something. The first thing he said when he woke up was, in, out. So happy, so happy, thank you. <laughs> he couldn't say much else at that point, but... But he recognized he was still breathing. It's beautiful. Okay. So, in a way, you could say that every time that we daydream, every time that we go to sleep, is another way of dying to this present moment. And we're buried in the past. What we have to do is to remember that no, we're not. We're awake. Looky, I'm awake. I can breathe. Ha ha. <laughs> I'm still alive. In, out. That's all I need. Thank you very much. I'm good. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's, so it's interesting what you said just a, a minute ago about your when your mindfulness gets strong, when your sati gets strong, uh, you're remembering faster. So the effort is less. The the right. effort to to clean the mind out is like more of a subtle thing it's like uh oh oh I, I just i can see that might ah, be a problem yeah, yeah yeah i'll 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 come back and i'll be like oh you know actually things are fine right now when i wake up in the morning 
this is why I haven't called you. I meant to call you, uh, you know, last week or earlier this week. But when I wake up in the mornings, I'm really like, ah, oh, oh, I've got to get up out of bed. Oh, no. You know, this is it feels like there's so much inertia built up when I wake up that, you know, Everybody I'm in a really that. bad that mood. In fact, uh, the best time of the day to practice Anapanasati is while you're still in bed before you get up. First thing we do is we remember, I'm alive. I've made it through the night. Wow. <laughs> what a joy. I'm still alive. Bet this day is going to be a good day. And I take another deep breath and I say, I don't have to get up right now. I can just lay here and feel good for a little while. No place to go and nothing to do. And I feel so good just laying here in bed. Pretty soon mm-hmm. I'll figure out a reason to actually get up and want to get up instead of feeling like I gotta get up. Because guess what? You don't have to get up. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Here's here's the thing then. Here's the thing. Um, there's a there's an edge. There's an edge, which is that if you, you know, typically, right? What always happened to me as I was, you know, young young person, I would wake up in bed and I'd be like, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Try to get the um, motor and shut the dog up. In fact, the reason why she's so upset is because the um, the monkeys are here. Oh, really? Yeah, we have professional monkeys. Professional monkeys. Professional monkeys. What do they do? They climb the coconut trees and dislodge the coconuts. Oh, wow! Oh, nice. That's handy. They even have two. Uh, uh, monkey universities here in South Thailand. <laughs> Specialized skills. <laughs> they're actually not monkeys. What they are is a um, species of baboon. Oh. Shiny butts and great big eyebrows and long big jaws and teeth about as long as your finger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but in Thai language, the, the word for baboon and, and ling are just, it's the same word. In fact, for most people, my monkey is a monkey. Yeah, yeah. But that very, very short tail that they have is a hamster tail. Okay. Um. Right. So where, where was I? I was going to say, I was going to say, um, yeah, when I, I would used to wake up, I used to wake up in the morning and I would be like, oh, you know, this is so nice. You know, I'm so comfortable. That was a really nice dream I was just having. Ah, what was that dream? And oh, and then I just fall back asleep. And then, you know, I'd wake up, I'd be late for school. I'd be wait, I'd be late for my lecture or whatever in university. Uh, and so we're not going to go back to sleep. We're actually going to start waking up and continue to wake up until you're literally floating out of bed (laughs) (laughs) okay okay yeah i mean so this is also a thing come here and be now be here now this blanket this breath this movement oh that feels so nice Oh, oh yeah and then come oh yeah this is good keep into that how good it feels rather than going back into the dream state. Okay. Okay. 
I could try that. And then we can learn to do that all day long, rather than going back into that dream state, which has to do with past, future, revenge, mm -hmm. fights to pick, and win, lose. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because my approach to my approach to getting over the the not waking up problem was really to like set some obnoxious alarm, set an alarm like over the other side of the room, so I have to get up, and then I'm like, Ugh. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so you're setting a rule, and then the child doesn't like it. What you need to do is instead put the child in a very joyful state. Don't you feel good about the day? So this is the this is like the nurturing superego or the nurturing adult role. You know, you want to engage that as soon as you wake up and you're like, oh, okay, here we are. Right, here we are. For yourself, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Well, okay. So the other thing I was going to mention related to this is like, if you're, if you're engaged in something, you know, like you're watching your favorite TV show and you're like, oh, I should, I should, you, you kind of wake up and you realize, oh, I need to do something. Uh, and then you kind of think like, oh, but, you know, maybe I'd just like to watch a little bit more of this show. Uh, and then you and then you've like falling back to sleep. You fall back into an absorption into what you're doing, which is like you get sucked into the show and you're thinking, oh, he's a bad guy. Oh, no, I hope he doesn't. Oh, and you, <laughs> yeah, you're absorbed into all of the emotions of that uh, or the game that you're playing. Uh, and then you've you've lost your your mindfulness, or you you've lost your awakeness, similar exactly. to like falling back asleep. Exactly. And not only that, but the the knock from the superego comes back with that mm -hmm. same message. Okay? Angrier this time. Right, right. And you, <laughs> I told you to get up and go meditate. <laughs> yeah, it's like my mum. <laughs> it's like when well, I was you learned up. how to do that from your mom. <laughs> You're just repeating what mom taught you to do. Right? Mm. And so the second time the child reacts to that angrier thing, like, oh, mom, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the third one comes, even a little rougher. Guess what? While this dialogue is going on between your ears, you're not watching the video that you in the first why don't you recognize this dialogue that's happening and put a stop to it? Say, hey, right now I'm enjoying the video. And actually enjoy it. Be here now with your with the video instead of often your <laughs> your dream state of having an argument with your daughter, your mother about whether you should do something or not. <laughs> I, I guess what really I'm what, what I'm uh, what I'm kind of like questioning is where you uh, if you're enjoying a video, you know, it's easy to get sucked in. If you're enjoying video. your if you're enjoying your dream before you woke up, if it was like you know you're just you're on an island, it's just beautiful. There's there's nothing to do there, but you're just wandering around looking at all this crazy architecture. Uh, okay. Then, well, there's what's wrong with that? That seems perfectly yeah, exactly. wholesome and enjoyable, but you, you will be asleep again. You were a child and you still have a rule. So my question right now, honestly, what would go wrong? Why don't you just set the alarm so it goes off earlier 
so that you give yourself a couple of hours to do that again. Why is it a no-no? It's because you were told that it was a no-no, and now you're repeating a rule. It's because miserable with it. It's because once you give in to you know falling asleep that that one time, you're gonna it's gonna happen again. You'll wake up again, and you'll think, "Oh, I don't actually. That was I was still having a really nice time. I still want to go back to sleep." And this happened again and again and again to me, to where it would be you know. It's now half ten. It's eleven o'clock. Until you finally got enough sleep, and then you wake up and you want to wake up. You're bored. You're tired of being in bed now. Got to go do something. Will be the next part of the cycle. So yes, the Buddha was very much into wakefulness, but there's another quality to that, and that is is that most of the people in the West don't get enough sleep. They are constantly tired, and so when they wake up, they wake up tired because they don't even know how to sleep correctly. So at least thing you can do is at least get your mind back into good shape when you wake up in the morning. And if you go back to sleep, that's only a sign that you didn't get enough sleep. And probably as a teenager, when they almost beat you half to death to get you out of bed, it was because you were probably up too late the night before. Okay, so let's give all of this a rest. That's the whole point. Give it a rest. And if you go to sleep and dream, that's okay. Because you will wake up, and when you do wake up, let's do something valuable with it, rather than fussing yourself or going to sleep again. In other words, be here now. Go back to sleep, go to back to sleep right now. That's what you did, okay? Give yourself a break. Nurture yourself. It's okay that you sleep late. Give yourself full permission to sleep late. And guess what? You'll probably, instead of resisting, oh, mom, leave me alone, you'll say, oh, well, I've had enough now. When you recognize you can stay in bed as long as you want to. Back to sleep if you want. Take the day off if you want. Probably already worked. Take tomorrow off too. <laughs> the thing, the thing is, right? You know, is is easy. It's very easy for me to be lazy and to seclude myself in, you know, know like pleasant, pleasant dreams and stuff. I don't know who. That's really the most amazing thing about the teaching of the Buddha, is that if we understand it correctly, and almost every kid does. But we don't. We're trained in our society to do what we're told to do rather than to enjoy our life. And I'm giving you permission right here, right now. If you want to go back to sleep in the morning, go back to sleep and enjoy yourself and stop hassling yourself. See what happens then, because you probably won't sleep that much. In fact, you probably lay in bed with the argument about should you get up or not, and then you're grumpy when you're getting up. You've had an argument with whether you should get up or I want to lay here. Yeah. Okay, so why don't you have the little conversation about, wow, how nice it is to take another five minutes. <laughs> it's so deep. It feels so good. But, you know, I can get up now. I'm ready to go. <laughs> mm-hmm.
don't have a reason to get up and go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really funny, you know, when I when I first left home and I went to university, I brought that that dialogue between me and my mom as a as a teenager, as a kid. <laughs> I took it with me. <laughs> <laughs> I kept doing it. We all do. It's built into our genes to do that. Because we're all terrified of getting thrown out of the nest. We don't think that we can make it on our own. And we couldn't when we were kids. That's why they nurtured us. When you were able to take care of yourself, that's when they started abusing you. All the way from high school to college. Do what you're told to do. Get to college and said, wait a minute. <laughs> and that's why so many students do poorly in college, at least their first year or so, is because they're too busy rebelling from their parents to be in college. Maybe they should take a, um, a year off and go, you know, do something really stupid like join the Navy. <laughs> But that's the whole idea is, is that we do pick up all of this stuff. And most of us, even when we learn about id, superego, and ego, and parent, adult, and child out of a book and whatnot like that, we really don't quite understand it until we start recognizing, oh, Floyd and Bird were talking about what I'm doing. <laughs> and if I sit and watch, I can hear that dialogue put an end to it. And a lot, a lot of the time, the dialogue is not all verbal. But in fact, part of it is nonverbal. You could say that the, uh, uh, the discursive thought or our conceptual ideas, language, is how we learned all the rules. We learned it through language and concepts. Mm -hmm. so, as a child, we answer with feelings. Hurt feelings, rebellious feelings. Don't want to do it, feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you've got the the talking of like, I need to do this right now, and then you've got the. Argh! I want to do it right, but it's all. Over. I'm going to kick right, a door a, or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's why it's good to watch our feelings because instead of a grrr, you can say later. <laughs> And then when angry mom comes in and gives you another order, and because you're wise, you can see that, and you say, hey, mom, I told you I'd do it later. <laughs> right now, I'm going to sit here and take a deep breath and enjoy the hell out of this very moment. You begin to feel better. You begin to ignore the rules. This okay, I'm going to... Take control of it. You're the lion I'm gonna... here. <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna ask an, another question. Um I remember a sutta that I read, right? Which is um the Buddha talks about the types of absorption that he praises and the types of absorption that he does not praise. And he says the types of absorption I praise are the four jhanas, in short, you know, and the types of absorption I do not praise are absorption based on uh desire, aversion, doubt. Uh, restlessness and worry. 
the five hindrances, right? So you can have absorption based on, oh, I really want that. Or, oh, that's disgusting. Or, you know, any of these things. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. you got that, like. Uh, so the problem, right. The problem is, the problem right, with these. just states it in the sense of the four types of clinging. Which I would call the, uh, and by the way, the word upadana in the Pali that means clinging, a much better word in English for Westerners to understand is to start using the word caring. Caring. Anything you care about, you're going to cling to. Mm -hmm. So start looking at the way that we use caring. Now, there's two kinds of caring. Caring for, like a nurse that cares for a patient. Mm -hmm. Or a veterinarian cares for a dog, and then there's caring about. Yeah. So the veterinarian is caring for the dog while the owner of the dog is standing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And in fact, the reason that the veterinarian has got this dog with whatever it's got is because the owner cared enough about the dog to take it to the vet. Mm hmm. You can probably believe that the dog didn't like it and if he had anything to say about it he wouldn't be there because <laughs> he's got a different caring for and he, and he, and he, uh, he doesn't care for being examined <laughs> okay so that's the caring is is the upadana or the modes of clinging Mm -hmm. But those modes of clinging are almost always based upon instinct. One of the four modes of clinging is, is the self-preservation instinct or caring about your existence, your survival, and any magical thing you can think of that threatens your existence and your survival, like the bully coming down the hall or the C-minus on the test. We think, and we mistakenly think that our whole life is in danger. When no, it's just the letter C on a piece of paper. That's all it is. Don't care about it. So, if we then recognize that we create most of our fears because of some rule, or oh, you're not supposed to have a C minus. Not supposed to have a C minus, and so therefore we feel threatened. And that's so that's a, a form of fear that we have. And that self-preservation instinct then conditions us to go into some sort of hell world, some sort of going along to getting along kind of world, some sort of wanting to cheat, like let's change that C to an A. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You, you can change the C to an A, but it doesn't change the C to an A. <laughs> uh, and, and so we try to get away with it like that. So that's one form of clinging. The second form of clinging is actually one that I've already mentioned that like that C, for instance, is a physical thing. You can imagine the way it got started with humans. And let's use an otter as an example. 
What does the otter do with the stone that he uses to crack open to crack open the shell of the oyster? He throws it away. Okay. What does the man do when he's opening a piece of um, uh, bone to get the marrow out? And this particular rock is quite sharp, and it does a good job. What is he going I, to do with that stone? I guess he puts it in his pocket and keeps it. Yeah, does he have a pocket? <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> okay, so maybe he needs a pocket, and so he gets a pocket to put a stone in, or maybe he can wrap with some uh, uh, twine or something, uh, a stick on it, and make an axe. And now he feels safe and secure. He's got a weapon. Every human being that I know of has that weapon with them called a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit more sophisticated than a sharp rock with a stick. But it's the same mentality and it's the same instinct. The instinct for materialism. The instinct of, oh, if I own that, it will make me safe. Mm-hmm. So that's the second form, materialism. In the in the Buddhist scriptures, it's called sensual desire, but it actually means I want to grab and hold something to make me feel good. So what's the first type again? The self-preservation instinct. Okay, okay. So you get an axe to Mm self-protect. Okay. And then the third instinct is the instinct of the herd. Not only do I have an axe, but I'll join a mob. I'll join a herd. I need protection. That starts in infancy when we've got a family. You need the family. So then that mob becomes your family. It's there for protection. But you got to follow the rules. Break the rules. Beat the hell out of them. So you got to follow the rules. And then there is the fourth instinct. That's the territorial instinct that the mob owns this block. And those blocks over there are owned by other mobs. Can't go over there. It's dangerous. Those people dress differently than they do, than we do. We wear turbans. They don't wear turbans. They've got to be bad people. We shave. They don't shave. They've got to be bad people. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, basically, the Buddha then talks about uh, the nesting instinct is silabhata paramasa, that we cling to the rules of the nest. And the fourth one is, is that we cling to views. The view is, is that I know this and I don't know that. So if I don't know that, it's got to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So you could cling to something like, oh, the world is made of atoms or, you know, the world is uh, the world is created by God or something like that. Precisely. OK. And that some people can just, ah, I don't care. And they've got no problem. And others want to get into fight with the guy who they, thinks that it's got gods in it. They lit- <laughs> Yeah, they the literally don't care. Gods, he's ready to fight. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we get attached to our territory, but our territory is a mental territory. So, so these are the different things you could care about and where you're, you're caring about them, you're getting sucked in and you're, you're getting trapped in a way. Exactly. So these are the four modes of clinging given rise to the four states of being a dumb animal 
doing what you were told to do, being the preta, wanting something you can't have, being in hell, being angry and dissatisfied, or the uh, uh, the Asuras, which are basically uh, heavenly armies that are all dressed for battle, but no battle to go to. Why? Because any battle that they go to is the one they want to go to, and they don't want to go to battle because they're afraid. All the other gods are bigger gods. This is like the Titans in Greek. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the heavenly warriors that are all dressed for battle and no place to go. <laughs> like, sort of like the kid who's on stage at the first play that he's in. He's only got one line, and the one line is, I'm a tree, and he's dressed as a tree. <laughs> and he walks out on the stage, and he sees mommy and daddy and aunts and uncles and all of those people, and maybe a bunch of kids laughing at him, and he gets his own one line, I am a tree. <laughs> That's the Asura right there. We forget. We get lost in our fear. Can't think straight. And so these are the four modes of clinging. All of them are immediately not leading to eventually dukkha. That's dukkha. Being stuck in one of these four modes of clinging in the way that we care about things is why we suffer or why we are so disapproving is because we care about the things we don't get. So when we stop caring, intentionally look at the things you care about and stop caring about it. So if the uh, if the mama in the mind says it's time to get up, I care about that. I don't care, mama. I'll get up when I damn well please. And guess what? Now that I'm so pleased by telling you off, I'm ready to get up now. <laughs> Yeah, so stop caring. Stop caring about the Silabata Paramasa. Stop caring about the wounds. Start enjoying your life. But you have to catch it. That's the whole point. Because this happens a lot. Do you have the sati to wake up and catch it? The answer is generally not. Let's practice, intentionally practice. Mm-hmm. We could sit down there with nothing to do and no place to go, literally no place to go and nothing to do five or ten minutes and practice having no place to go and nothing during that time. So any rules or any thoughts about going or doing, set them aside saying, shut up, mommy. And so this is actually a fairly interesting introduction to Anapanasati, teaching of the Buddha, especially with the four aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path, to wake up, to take a look at what you're doing. Mommy, I see you. And the, uh, the language of the Buddha is, aha, I see you, Mara. So mm-hmm. have some joy in it. The joy is, is that you can see that crap that's going on in the mind. And I wake up to it and say, ah, I don't have to think about that dude anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's... I revenge on him. Let him go. I think that's what's what's missing when I when I try to do this. A lot of the time in the day I can do this, right? But when it's in the morning and I'm in bed... And there's all these like feelings knocking around and I look at them and the first thing I feel is like, oh, f- 
fucking hell there's so much like uh there's so much resistance and say right now there's not so much (laughs) yeah so right now we don't have to fuck with hell (laughs) 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 we can just shut it down and say this is so nice anyway practice that's a good time for you to practice is when you wake up recognize oh there's now now is a point in time five minutes or so to enjoy the heck out of the fact that i don't have to get up out of bed I don't have to get lost. I can just lay here and breathe, and oh, it feels so good. <sighs> so yeah, so there's a oh the cell phone. I got to go check on what NBC is doing, and then you can say, never mind, never mind. I'm just going to enjoy it. I don't need the cell phone right now. moment so you can start to practice that practice it over and over this is a nice moment this is good so jamie let's finish now go enjoy yourself for a while then call me in a couple of days, all right? Okay. <laughs> when you do that several times, you'll fall right into first child. There's nothing to it. Mm-hmm. When you want it, got a concept. Oh, I got to have first John. Sorry. <laughs> we got to get really satisfied. And when you get really satisfied, this is good. Oh, this is so this must be John. This is so good. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. I'll do that now. Right. Thank you, Damarato. <laughs> okay. Have bye. a lovely evening. Bye bye.